FaZe World Podcast helps independent creators live their creative and financial freedom. I'm your host, Fei Wu, and I'll be taking you through a series of interviews with creators from around the world who are living life on their own terms. Each episode is packed with tactics, nuggets you can implement, origin stories to make listening productive and enjoyable. We're not only focused on the more aspirational stories, but relatable ones as well. We also have non-interview-based mini-series releasing throughout the year to help deep dive into topics such as freelancing, marketing, even indie filmmaking that will benefit creators like you. Show notes, links, and ways to connect with the guests are available on phaseworld.com. Now, on to the show. Hey guys, this is Fei Wu again, and thank you so much for listening to the Face World podcast. This is our original creation of Face World, started in October 2014. And guess what? I want to welcome you if you're new, because every single week, we find ourselves talking to new people literally every single week, and it's so exciting. So today, I want to introduce a very special entrepreneur whose name is Hanny Mora, and he's the founder of Repurpose.io, a place or software where you can create once and publish everywhere. I'm going to tell you in just about a second. But before we dive into Hanny and, and his background, I also want to encourage you to check out Face World's first ever documentary series on both Amazon Prime and also Vimeo. So Amazon Prime right now is open for free streaming for US and UK. And if you're living anywhere else in the world, Vimeo is your go-to. And thank you so much for your support by watching the series and, and you know, telling other people about it um, and sharing your experience and, and also your reflections with me or with your friends and family on social media means so much and really helps us, you know, independent creators like myself to push our work forward. Let's go back to today's episode. Um, Hanny is the dad and founder of Repurpose.io. Repurpose is an easy-to-use automation platform that helps entrepreneur and coaches and content creators to maximize their exposure without spending hours publishing to multiple platforms. So guess what? FaceWorld is one of Repurpose's clients, and we have been using um, their software religiously since about a month ago. And it's so helpful to be able to record and edit audio podcasts once and then be able to push it directly to YouTube. We can create a simple workflow. I don't even have to go back in to touch anything again because it's automatic. So whether you are a podcaster or you're a live streamer, you create videos on YouTube or Facebook Live, doesn't matter. Repurpose.io will be a great addition to your creative journey. So in this episode, uh, you will learn what Repurpose.io does and how it helps creative entrepreneurs like yourself or someone you know. How Hanny discovered the idea and created an MVP and in a tech world for us that is minimal viable product for repurpose.io and how Hanny marketed his product at first. Hint, it's about building an email list, pre-sale and all that jazz. Also making the product better and growing with a team. How content marketing and content creation and automation work at a high level and why it's important to repurpose content. 
And last but not least, we dive into Hanny's origin stories and what brought him to Toronto, Canada, where he isn't from originally, but moved to with his family. This is another incredible story of an immigrant family. And you guys know me that, you know, I was born and raised in Beijing, China, and I came to Boston when I was 17 years old, and I have been here for nearly 20 years. And, and Hanny also explains to us and shares with us what it's like to run a tech startup in Toronto and how he then balances his work and family life. So there's a lot of really cool hidden gems. I love these stories. They're just so relatable. You know, whether you come from a technical background or you learn to be a programmer as an adult, that is super exciting. And it doesn't matter if you're 15 years old or you're 50, you know, you're trying something out. And guess what? If there's a audience for for it and people are craving for this to be a solution, then you could be in the center of it all. Thanks so much for listening to the Face World podcast. And I understand how precious your time is. And there's so much content and everything to choose from these days. I'm thrilled that you're here with me and I, I can't wait to hear your feedback related to the documentary. It was our first filmmaking experience. We probably made a lot of mistakes and regrets along the way, but guess what? It's out there for people to consume. It's out there to tell my story along with 11 incredible influential guests who appeared on FaceWorld. A lot of people tell me that they teared up. I know I certainly did. Actually, during production as well as watching the film for the first time. Yeah, that's it. So without further ado, please welcome Hanny Mora to the FaceWorld podcast. Mora, thanks so much for joining me on Phase World. I'm I'm so thrilled that you made the decision to join us and and replied quickly and gives me a lot of joy. Hey, my pleasure, my honor. It's honor honor to be here. I'm a, a very not only a dedicated user for Repurpose.io. I couldn't believe it. Literally, this is how I stumbled upon um, this is my story. Which I know that as a creator founder, you're like, how did you discover the mm-hmm. podcast? It's crazy. So so as a podcaster for a while, you know, people are debating whether we should push our, you know, audio content onto YouTube. And about two months ago, I started taking YouTube very seriously. And I said to myself, wow, we really, we really should do this. And, and how do we do this? And, and I remember just how to repurpose um, podcast content for YouTube and your website showed up. And I was very skeptical because I felt like I was very in tune with what's available, but somehow I, you know, I didn't really find one very quickly. And I downloaded that night, I subscribed right away. And for the following weeks, and I really started recommending to everyone I know, because I also belong, I also lead a fairly sizable podcaster community. And nice. yeah, I, I li- the moment I look at somebody using a static image, I'm like, what are you doing? Like, this is what <laughs> you need to subscribe to um, and check it out. That's awesome. No, it's always good to know. Like, I'm always curious of how do people find out about it word of mouth, the Google searches. So it's awesome. Yeah, I know we like we rank pretty well for podcasts to YouTube. Uh, when you search for that, our videos come up, our website comes up. So I guess that our SEO part is working really well. That's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know, I, I looked on LinkedIn and I thought this was this new thing, but realized that you've been running the company since 2016. So could you tell us mm-hmm. a bit about sort of the context and history of how Repurpose.io came about? 
Yeah, so let's jump back to maybe 2014 really quick. Uh, I was just, I had this itch. I'm a, I'm a software engineer, so I've been managing projects. That's kind of what I do for you know, my day job. And then, you know, I got this itch to create something of my own. Right? I wanted to create something. Um, I didn't know what it was, but I knew I love video. I've been blogging about video for the past two, three years. Long story short, one day I just, it, just, it just hit me. I'm like, I got to make a tool for software for video people. And that's all I knew. I didn't know what it was. That's all I knew. Um, and then just kind of let it marinate there. And then I kind of solved my own problem with my blogging. What was I doing regularly that I could automate? So my first software back in probably 2014 or 13 or 14 was um, to take YouTube videos and put them on your blog. That was my first WordPress plugin that I created. I got some help to create it, hired a contractor, worked out through the details. But that's how I got into that kind of entrepreneurial spirit. I was like, I wanted to solve my own problem. I got it out to a few people through my network, et cetera. And it got some traction. People were like, I like this. Mm. I like this. And then from there, there was a WordPress plugin that came out. Uh, we released similar idea. It pushes uh, podcasts, uh, podcasts to your website. Because some one of our customers said, hey, you're doing this for YouTube. Can you do it for our podcast? So we did that about six months later. And then about six months later, they said, hey, can you take Facebook Lives and put them on our blog? So customers kept asking, what else can you do from WordPress? So that's how I get started. But the cool thing is, after around 2016, people were asking, okay, great. You're pulling all our content, repurposing it as blog posts, YouTube videos, podcasts, um, Facebook Lives. But can you go from one platform to the other? Like not the blog, send it from YouTube podcast to YouTube or Facebook Live to YouTube. And I'm like, hmm, I like that. And, you know, I kind of let it marinate. And then more and more people kept asking. And that's how Repurpose was born. It was mm-hmm. customer feedback uh, from the you know, existing customers using our WordPress plugins, wanting the extra step to go further and do more. Well, speaking of which, I just saw a new pop-up when I logged into Repurpose. Like now you can, um, I didn't pay close attention, um, but was it repurposing videos, video content to LinkedIn as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just released that a f- maybe three weeks ago, two, three weeks ago. So now you can publish, uh, Repurpose can upload directly to LinkedIn, uh, to your LinkedIn page. It's kind of the only limitation right now. Mm-hmm. So you got to start a company page, but... It's all good. Uh, event, you know, eventually we'll be able to publish to your LinkedIn feed. But um, you know, the whole idea of repurpose is to be able to automate the uploading process mm-hmm. to different social net platforms and also resizing it, yeah. converting it from audio to video, from video to video with captions or square, vertical, you know, whatever you want that's ideal for the platform you're trying to publish to. Mm-hmm. Just based on how you made this happen, what I love about your company and your approach and this partly it was my own assumption before reaching out to you because I honestly had no idea how you think, you know, largely it was my guess to say, is this person the right fit for the podcast? And there's something so profound that I love about the way you approach your work, which is I realize you're someone who ships very often and, mm-hmm. you know, who it, someone who doesn't just wait until mm-hmm. something is just perfect and you have approval from everyone. I'm a big fan, not just a big fan. I'm, I follow Seth Godin's work for decades yeah. now. And, and, and that's kind of the potential I was seeing. So it sounds to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, that this was an idea where people started asking you and you start putting together prototypes and MVPs. 
and it worked and it worked even better. When was that kind of pivotal moment for you to say, wow, I really want to productize this thing and this is how I'm going to charge? Because a lot of people kind of are struggling. A lot of people I know Mm -hmm. don't know where that point happens and how. Yeah. Um, so to me, when I first launched my first tool, 2014, I had no idea what I was doing. I built basically a prototype. I had this big vision. And I said, I'm going to build this piece, just the basic, fun- what's, what's the core function? Like what's the minimum mm-hmm. the MVP? Like what's the, what's the basic, most minimal feature? I built that. I showed it to actually somebody who I was helping launch his podcast at the time. Um, anyway, long story short, it was like I built that piece. I showed it to some people. They loved it. They said, let's go to the market with this. Um, if we just add a few bells and whistles around it. And then we launched a beta group. So that was key, I think, in the beginning. On a small beta group, 20 people filled up quickly. They used it, which was key. Because a lot of beta users just they sign up, but they never use it. So the fact they used it and the fact that they started giving feedback, said, okay, you know, we have a product now. Because we have a few beta users. And then we got it out. So that process, probably month or so, month of, three weeks, four weeks of beta testing, and then a couple more weeks to get it out. So very short sprints or very short windows of time where we wanted to get stuff out. And then I had a whole list of things we wanted to do with the WordPress plugin, but it didn't matter. To me, those are all nice things I wanted. But so once we got it out, we heard from what customers wanted and we added those first. Uh, with Repurpose, so those were the WordPress plugins like way back. You know, every year we build more software we got more experience. We know we're more comfortable. So the, the thing I learned with Repurpose was, you know, I followed the same track. I said, okay, what's the most basic function that we want? We want to take an audio into a video. And that's all Repurpose did. The first, I should know, there's two features it did. It did audio to video, and then it did Facebook Live to YouTube. It took a Facebook Live and put it on YouTube. Those two things, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And um, we got it out. I launched it to my existing customers first. I didn't go public with it. I went out and say, you guys are already customers of my WordPress plugins. You love it. Um, Here's some more automation. Um, And I asked people to prepay. I asked them to prepay. It wasn't built yet. Back from November, and it didn't launch until April, but we we sold it in November. If you Mm -hmm. buy now in six months, you'll gain access. You know, you put down 150 bucks or something like you get your money back if you don't like it when it comes out, but you know, commit some money now. And that was a way of testing if people are willing to pay for this tool. So smart. And it was to our existing customers who already had that no like trust factor. So we weren't trying to pitch it to anybody new. People knew our products. People knew who I was. I did a webinar. Mm-hmm. We got, I think, 20 people to sign up on that webinar. Yeah. Very quickly, probably filled. Very quickly, yeah. They're like, oh yeah, I trust you. I bought your software before. Um, it's a no-brainer. And it was a refund. If you didn't like it and when it got released in April or March, mm-hmm. uh, if you didn't like it, you get that money back. So there was no risk to the people who signed up. But that was my way of saying, A, are people willing to pay for it? Uh, and B, start getting feedback. Like once, because they were, they started using it on January, February and giving us some good feedback on what's broken, what's not working, what could be better. And then we took that to market around April. Same thing, launched my list. We had an early notification list as well. So mm-hmm. as we were building, we said, hey, if you're interested in this tool, um, sign up here, leave your email, we'll let you know when it's ready. How so we kind of built that list. So I'm interested in hearing, and by the way, this whole um, kind of pre-sell to your customers, and like you said, is a great way to validate the product. Plus, it's going to give you some, you know, some, you know, hopefully sufficient funding to really yeah. not have to think about finance 
Um, one of our other guests, Joey Corman, did the same thing. Uh, he pre-sold his course, just single online course to like five people mm-hmm. at a sizable, as a significant price tag. People were willing to pay anyway. And now he's, it's a multi-million dollar um, yeah. online academy, which is really fantastic. So that's ooh. awesome. Yeah, it's just so great to hear these stories that, you know, people might not have heard of you or the product, but to realize that this is a workable path um, mm-hmm. and a reasonable one too, not just something that you, you know, like another overnight success. So yeah. um, between November and, you know, when you launch in April or so, how how many new emails did you, like how, how much did you grow your email list if you still remember? Uh, we didn't have a huge email list. I mean, it was kind of an ongoing process. So November is when, actually the email list went up before November. So mm-hmm. November was around the webinar when I said, okay, now we're selling this, pre-selling this in November. Um, but I've already started building the list before that mm-hmm. um, through Facebook groups, with people who I knew who teach about podcasting and just went through my own network and said, hey, my own list and then also my own network. Now, do you mind promoting this? Nothing, this, nothing to buy. Something you're interested in. I made a little video, and uh, I said, "Hey, just you know, leave your email. We'll let you know when it's ready." I can't remember. We didn't. We didn't have a huge list. Maybe a couple hundred people on there. Okay. Maybe, no, maybe like close to five hundred people. I would say sign up for the early notification list. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, one mistake if I were to do it again is mm-hmm. to kind of what you're supposed to do is keep people in the loop on your progress. Yeah. While you're developing, but. You know how it is. You get caught up in the creation part of it. So I didn't do a great job keeping people up to date who signed up for my list. So people signed up maybe six months before the mm-hmm. webinar and then they forgot when I sent an email about the webinar and they're like, oh, what did I sign up for? What is this about? So that's one mistake yeah. I would have kind of changed. But overall, I mean, the fact that you start getting interest, the email list was telling me that people are interested. The webinar yeah. was to validate that people are going to spend money on this. Um, and then once we went to market, it was. Uh, I just felt comfortable. I mean, the pricing is always something I would struggle with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by the way, like I was scared to pre-charge. Like, I knew these people. A lot of them are almost like my friends. They've been buying my stuff for a while. We meet up at conferences. But I was yeah. still afraid to ask for money when something wasn't built. So it's normal to go through that feeling when you're nervous of like, how can I ask for money and it's not even built yet? Mm-hmm. It's normal to be nervous. And uh, as long as you have a guarantee that, you know, you're not there to steal from people. It's not stealing. It's not like you're ripping people off. You're just, yeah. you're just going to get you know, an upfront commitment. They got a discount. And as a bonus, actually, what I ended up doing for those 20 people is say, hey, because you're early founders, you get lifetime access. So they never had to pay again. So oh, they, the, I I didn't, was... they didn't know. They didn't know. It was a surprise. I, once we launched it, I said, you know, you guys have been awesome. So much great feedback. Yeah. So helpful in building this thing. Yeah. And you took a leap of faith on me. and then. I give them lifetime access. They never had to pay again. So this that was, was my gift back to them. The first 20 people. Late 2016. Or I guess 20. Yeah, we launched in 2017, I think. Oh, I wish yeah. I was on that list because I have <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. Not that I feel like the, the pricing structure you have right now is very, very reasonable. And there's yeah. no issue with pricing at all. But I also wish I could be part of that group because it's just the struggle of even thinking about, I mean, that, that, at that, Precise moment, late 2016, 17, is when we spend so much time editing podcasts like this. Mm. You know, we feel like, and it's so hard to edit an actual recording. And with someone, there are people that we interview who don't speak very often on podcasts or public events. So there are certain edits that need to be applied. And we basically just gave up at that point to say, let's just focus on audio. 
until mm-hmm. I saw Repurpose was the, was the reason. Now I have 225 episodes and we mm-hmm. you know, use Repurpose and the, um, created a workflow within seconds. And you know, I, I did a video on that for YouTube and, and single publish. And the way I use it, just so you know, I keep everything private. And then I work with my yeah. Um, yeah, social media um, virtual assistant and we create a schedule and updated thumbnail tags. We use TubeBuddy to optimize with nice. tags. So it's That's awesome. Working. You got it all systemized. That's awesome. Actually, we're adding a scheduler, by the way, so that, and that might help in the future. We're adding a scheduler probably by early next year so that you can schedule directly from repurpose to any platform. But what you're doing is perfect. Go to private, schedule it from there. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, yeah so basically... Um, like the software itself was very basic. It was podcast to YouTube, uh, Facebook Live to just copy and upload a video from Facebook to YouTube. Those were the two problems that most podcasters slash live creators had. The time. Yeah. So we only solved those. But since then, it's, in, it's been, I guess, two years now, two and a half years. It has evolved. It's like we got caption videos and we got rectangle and square and vertical and clips and, you know, yeah. but, you know, even some of them were on my roadmap, but some of them were not. But by listening to users, by, by getting something out, you can't get feedback on nothing, on an yeah. idea. You got to get feedback on something tangible, whether it's a course, whether it's a software, whatever it is you're creating. Mm-hmm. You got to get people using and experiencing it and then giving you feedback. So I'm happy. I, I'm a perfectionist. You saw me earlier. I was adjusting the, my laptop so that little thing in the corner wasn't showing. So I'm a perfectionist too, but I knew that if I don't get anything out to people, they're mm-hmm. not going to... I'm not going to get proper feedback. Mm-hmm. So just kind of said, all right, this is it. This is the scope. We're building this two features, get it out. And then we'll start working in the background as people are using it. So I encourage anybody who's creating anything, core software, whatever it is that you're creating, get it out in its most basic form and uh, at least to a handful of people and start getting feedback on it. Yeah. Wonderful. I completely agree with that. And Hey guys, it's Fei Wu and you're listening to the Phase World podcast. Today on Phase World, welcome Hani Mora, who's the founder of Repurpose.io. It's a software for coaches, content creators, and entrepreneurs, because when you create your content once, it will help you publish it everywhere. Now back to the show. You know, it could be the smallest thing possible. And you learn so much by talking to people and yeah. you can make tweaks and adjustments as opposed to just like dreaming up in your, in your head and start spinning out of control as a creator, which is a, the easiest thing to do. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We all go through it. I have a huge Trello board of like to-dos and new features. And I'm like, I know I'm not going to get to them unless customers ask me for it. Yeah, Because exactly. I'm not creating the software for me. I'm creating the software for my users. And I say, if you're creating a course, you're not creating it for yourself. You're creating it for um, your users. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind. That's, it's very valuable. It's hard to do, but you just got to kind of go against what your natural feeling is and get it out there uh, as, as quickly as you can. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think about what your, I feel like I can stop talking about your purpose, but we want to talk about your origin stories as well. Um, you know, working as a creator I, I find that w- as a developer uh, for a short period of time, I think, and it's still today, still technology is still very much part of my uh, 
consulting endeavor, part of like Face World LLC as a company, the moment we have to rely on a third party, whether that be YouTube, Facebook, and you know, you you have to really play by their rules and they allow you to go up against a certain point. And it drives me crazy, I gotta admit, like because I also created a course for Simalaya. And the moment I was done with that course, they changed their user user interface completely. Oh. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, you know, I have to really pop myself up to like re-record and think I'm getting better at it. But like, what are some of the struggles that you have? And, you know, without getting into like, obviously the nitty gritty technical details, like how do you balance that? Um, well, you said about platforms is very, uh, it's, it's been very, it's been very obvious in the past year or so, ever since that Facebook issue where everything leaked out like last April. Yeah. They, like overnight, they literally shut down. They said, okay, no developer, no third-party app can access Facebook groups anymore. Like overnight. And my customers are screaming at me, hey, I'm going to publish to the group. This was working yesterday. Why isn't it working today? Yeah. But Facebook just took it away. So it, they had to force everyone to reapply. So imagine thousands of apps out there reapplying yeah. for permissions. Uh, we were in the queue for months, so, but you have to manage that with your customers. You have to explain to them, yeah. you know, we put notices in the software. This is something that's out of our control. You can still do this, this, and this, but we cannot do this because Facebook's not allowing us. Mm-hmm. All good. Uh, like it just, you just have to work with it and be upfront with the customer that this is not something we control. Yeah. But then, and then, you know, we had people ask us, hey, can you take a video off of YouTube and put it somewhere else? Mm-hmm. We could technically, but we're not allowed to. So we're not going to. So we're always up front. We're always played by all the platforms rules because they're giants. YouTube is a Facebook. You don't want to, you violate terms of service with them, you're done. You can never integrate with their apps anymore. Yeah. So we're very careful about that. And now uh, YouTube's doing a huge audit on all the apps. Mm-hmm. They've, they've made me like change. I didn't use the official logo on my, on my homepage for YouTube. Oh, it, was, it was almost the same, but it was like maybe not rounded. <laughs> <laughs> and they change that. So they're, they're, everyone's being strict. Yeah. But it's not a bad thing. We're just playing by the rules. So we play by the rules very, very carefully. But yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a balance because you have to manage your customers and uh, you have to obviously respect the platform. So we always, we're always stay within the rules. There are hacks that you can do that we don't do because yeah. we don't want to break the rules. Yeah. But that's been the past year, probably the biggest, one of the biggest challenges is that you know, everything's going fine. Then you get an email from Facebook saying, oh, we're going to shut down the permissions. You have to reapply. I'm like, mm-hmm. what? what? Then you start freaking out. Yeah. And then, you know, we're, we're not afraid because we're not breaking their terms of service, but just you got to go through the process and sometimes it takes time. But, you know, as of, you know, as of now, everything is good and approved and you know fingers no crossed no we, we need your purpose to work because <laughs> if it stops working and i have to start working that's <laughs> yeah, i like that that's cool so yeah um, let, let us uh, know when we need to sign petitions and all that stuff. yeah please put repurpose back no it's all good. <laughs> we're not breaking any rules so we're not worried about that so it's all good how many um, do you? How many employees or contractors do, do you have working for you at the moment? And I also, I'm curious, like how many users um, you have at the yeah, moment? Yeah, we're about we're close to six thousand people on Repurpose um, between trial and, and paid. So, like, I don't know the exact active users at the moment, but people who've gone through and signed up for at least oh, they're going to pay. Are, yeah, <laughs> so we're like it's almost six thousand, which is. Uh, kind of blows my mind a little bit. Uh, yeah. I mean, 
it depends on what, who he's looking at. Some people say, oh, that's a small number. But to me, it's just, it's been a very, uh, I don't want to say slow, but a very steady progression in a comfortable way. Because, you know, when things, software always things break and you don't want to be hurting, you know, 6,000 people. So in the beginning, there were a lot of hiccups, but we ironed them out early enough when we had a small number of users. So now things are more stable. So I'm very happy with the, the way things are going. But back to your question, we're, on, we're close to 6,000 now. Mm-hmm. And um, we're four, five people now wow. uh, on a team. Um, you know, so between support, uh, developers, me kind of managing and stuff, we're one, two, three, four, five people. Well, how many are support? Like I use two developers, but other than you, two developers, two support? We have actually one support and then one developer primarily on the plugins because we still still sell three or four WordPress, three WordPress Mm -hmm. plugins. Oh, wow. Uh, So there's support on that. And then there's repurposes that have two two developers. But I jump in in between. I help support whenever needed. I I help and I I try not to touch the code, but... I have to, I get in there and I <laughs> touch it because I usually break it, but <laughs> so I kind of float around, um, but I'm more and more stepping away and focusing more on doing like the marketing side of things and mm-hmm. kind of stepping back and looking at the big picture and the roadmaps and that kind of stuff. So, which is hard for me. I like doing it, but I like mm-hmm. to also get in the code and solve a problem. That's my instinct. Here's a problem. Let's solve it. But mm-hmm. now it's like, okay, let's focus on, Growing and better and growing. Yeah. Which is obviously important for the business, but I enjoy both sides. Yeah. I mean, I I also enjoy the creation as well as marketing because I feel like so many of us still feel like talent alone is enough or, or talent in, in the case of whether that's, you know, your singer, your Broadway actor, that's the body as an instrument or your talent as in what your software brings still like, People need to actively market themselves and their products, and you can't just sit back and and let other body it, it, somebody else take control. So, like, but I'm at the same time I'm curious. Like, um, what was the decision like for you to be the the CMO, like chief marketing, yeah. uh, versus hiring someone like a director of marketing to kind of assist you with that marketing side of things? I mean, I've you know I'm. Bit of a control freak, so I built this. The plugins, the first plugin I launched, I launched with a business partner. Um, so I was the technical, and he was the marketing because I was just I didn't know what I was getting into, and he had the right audience, and we worked together, and we got it out to a lot of people. Um, the second plugin, um, I wanted to be more. I don't want to say the face of the product, but I wanted to be more of like the person behind the product. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, I just did that one on my own marketing and then the the development, I had help with it. So in the beginning, people got, I learned a little, I don't want to say a trick, but it's something that I I humanized the software Mm -hmm. in a sense that I've always put my face on the product that, Hey, um, I'm accessible. You can reach me. I'm part of the Facebook groups, all over the podcasting Facebook groups. I show up to the conferences in person to meet people face to face. So I kind of humanized the software. So people, got to know me as well as the software, mm-hmm. which I think helps with, as a content creator, software creator, whatever creator who get to know you, especially in software. Cause you're not in the face. You're not, there's no video or anything, right? It's, yeah. uh, it's software. So anyway, so I humanized it. People got to know me. So I became almost attached to the brand early on. 
which I think helped me as we went went around and grew more and more software in the launch repurpose. People, oh, you're the guy from the WordPress plugin that did this one. I like that. I'm gonna check this out too. Oh yeah, yeah. So I became part of the marketing. So I'm. I don't see it happening soon. But at some point, when we get big enough, we'll probably hire more people to help with the marketing. But I still feel like I know the product and I know my mm-hmm. customers. I mean, it's growing. Now. I don't know every single customer, obviously, but I know the type of customers. But I'm having a hard time letting go, and I'm enjoying being kind of the one to you know market the product. But I will definitely get some help. Like, yeah, at some point, and I think six thousand. Yeah, it's it's a definitely a, a sizable base of people, and I think you can learn. You're already learning so much from from them, and it's yeah. easier to profile uh, using you know like Facebook lookalike. And I'm recently became a big fan of um, in-stream ads and YouTube. Um, oh, on YouTube. okay. Yeah, super. Yeah, I haven't touched the YouTube ads. Yeah, I've been kind of looking at the Facebook now, but YouTube not not yet. But not yet. I'll send you. It's a on quick- my list. Yeah. Yeah, I'll send you a quick video because I, to be honest, like I start watching these. I mean, that's everybody's looking for information, trying to get past, cut through the chaos. And so I, my producer sent me a video to say, watch this. I want you to re-record this video with, so basically Google ads is what you use to set up in-stream ads for YouTube. It's always confusing, right? You think you should do it natively in YouTube, but because Google bought them. So Google ads is managing all of this. once you set it set it up once, um, what's incredible about in-stream ads is uh, you can place your you talking in the video or you know like a commercial for a repurpose onto these specific videos that are already popular that are already oh. podcaster related. For example, like Pat Flynn, who there are a bunch of other guys like Pat Flynn, right? But yeah. he did a videos like how to start your podcast in 2019, how to start your podcast in 2020. And these videos are getting, and its playlist is getting millions of downloads. And you can place your ad right at the beginning oh. of that of that video. And if people watch it under thirty seconds, you don't pay. That is. Oh wow! The, oh wow! That's, so I that sounds awesome. I know. I, I will send you the details because I it took me some time to create that um, instruction. I was like, no, no way. This just sounds too good to be true. It so sounds, yeah, it sounds happen. way too good to be true. <laughs> exactly. Like if they skip the video, they don't watch and then you don't pay. And you ended up, the I think the CPV was uh, under, um, I pay like four cents per view and per view is 30 seconds or more. And what? Yeah, and you <laughs> see your channel subscribers and the view for either the video or to grow, but obviously you don't have to just link to your videos, but you can also send people to directly to your website to, for your services and products. So I, cool. I am. Yes, definitely send me details on that. That sounds awesome. Cause I mean, we do a lot of education through video and how to use the software, how to kind of strategies. So, you know, if we can be in front of the right audience on YouTube. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. It, it's so, great. Hey guys, it's Fei Wu and you're listening to the Phase World podcast. Today on Phase World, welcome Hani Mora, who's the founder of Repurpose.io. It's a software for coaches, content creators, and entrepreneurs, because when you create your content once, it will help you publish it everywhere. Now back to the show.
Speaking of, I want to be, I want to put my repurposed videos in, in front of the right audience as well, because, you know, speaking of which, even though I'm not a marketer for you, but I sort of am because I signed up for affiliate marketing with mm. repurpose and kind of spread the word. And uh, I want to see, you know, how all that works together. So, um, so I want to hear about your journey. And, you know, as you know, um, before we started the show, because of who I am, you know, I didn't really grow up here in Boston. I, I grew up in Beijing, moved here about 20 years ago, and this is my second home. And uh, as a result, I'm really proud to have interviewed a lot of um, immigrants, like to hear more about immigrant stories and immigrant women as well. Um, what was your um, journey like? Were you born and raised in Canada? And how did you get to where you are? Yeah, I, I was born in Kuwait. Uh, so I grew up in the Middle East. Uh, I was born in Kuwait. And then I think 1989 wow. or so, um, when the Gulf War happened. And that's when like we woke up and there was just like gunshots and bombs and outside our window. We're like, oh, that's not good. And you know, I was 11-ish, maybe mm-hmm. around 11 or 10. Mm-hmm. Didn't really know what's going on. And then basically we just had to stay in our house, in our apartment at the time. And uh, basically... Two months later, we had to just kind of pack everything up in a Jeep. Mm-hmm. My parents had a I got a driver who drove me, my two brothers, and my parents. Just drove out and we left. And we crossed the border and then we ended up coming to the U.S. to stay with uh, my dad's brother, my uncle. Mm-hmm. And then we end up kind of back and forth and we finally settled in Canada uh, a couple of years later. So... It's, yeah, it's an interesting <laughs> backstory that uh, doesn't usually come up in podcasts, but it's, it's kind of fun to share and look back and say, wow, that happened when you're 11. And you don't really realize what's going on when you're 11. And, and you still remember. On. And then what's uh, Yeah, I remember like waking up and there was just jet fighters outside the window. Windows rattling, there'll be bombs every couple of days and the window would rattle and we're like... Okay, we're just gonna, just gonna stay in here and not <laughs> get close to the windows. And yeah, it was uh, looking back, I was like, wow, it's weird that that happened. But but uh, when you're there, you didn't really appreciate what was happening, which was probably good as yeah. almost like a protection mechanism. But yeah, you know, we all left. My cousins, we all lived in Kuwait, and we all left, and now we're all here, so in Canada. So wow. it all worked out, and now we all have kids and. You know, our kids are growing up here, so it's together. Yeah, together ish. You know, within an hour drive of each other, but it's just cool that you know we all grew up together, and then we all left, and we all ended up in the same place now, and then our kids are growing up together. So. Wow, where were you in the U.S. Um, when you first got we here? We were in Florida. We stayed with my uncle for a bit, mm-hmm. and then we came back to Canada. Well, we kind of bounced around for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Finally settled in Canada. Maybe they, I forget. My dates are, are off, but like every year we'd be moving back and forth between U.S. and Canada, U.S. and Canada, and then we settled here. And then my cousins were also here, and we, uh, you know, went to university here, and you know, kind of our life started here when we were kind of like mid teenagers. So, what? Yeah. yeah. What was it? Um, I mean, do you still remember? I mean, you remember because you're a preteen at yeah. that point. A lot of people don't um, when they were super young, but. Do you remember the first couple of years where, um, when you trying to learn English, was it was it challenging trying to learn the language and make friends and be immersed in the culture? 
Yeah, actually, we are very fortunate. Uh, in Kuwait, we went, were in a private school. Uh -huh. uh, so we were learning English there. So English, like English and Arabic. So language was not an issue. Mm -hmm. Like we learned English growing up ever since we you know, went to school. So very fortunate for that. Um, but when we came to the U.S., the culture was different. The U.S., Canada, the culture mm -hmm. is a lot of things that we didn't, just didn't get it, right? But, you know, you're pretty young and you just adapt. And, yeah, it's hard because every year for four years, we would, you know, one school and the next year we would move to a different country, a different school, and then back to the U.S. for a year and then back to Canada for a year. And, you know, it's around, you know, middle, high school, early high school-ish. Mm -hmm. So it's like a hard time to be moving around, but we, yeah, it just, it kind of worked out. It worked out and you're young. And I mean, I moved here when I was 17. I was so pumped. I, I love the American culture. I was a skater and a hockey player. So like it'll, oh. yeah, it will fit in. It's like, this is the, you know, I, yeah. I really was loving it. But in retrospect, now in my thirties, I'm like, oh, that was really hard. Oh, wow. How did I deal with that moment? And um, like you said, it's like a protective mechanism. I got to yeah. say, do you remember the food transition? Because I, I really like Arabic food. Like Middle Eastern mm. food is something I, I, I just, I don't know. I will make me really fat. Like I, I'll be <laughs> if I, just, I just eat it every day. But, but was it hard for you or like parents cooked for you? Yeah. It was like our parents always cooked. And when we came to Canada and, you know, the, well, continue the same tradition. My grandparents moved here. And so the mm. cooking stayed the same. Uh, especially in, like we live in the Toronto area. So now it's just very easy to get like, Middle Eastern food or any kind of food. Like, Asian, Asian food. Very food. Yeah, <laughs> any kind of food. Like, everything is around us. Like, it's just now we live in a world where you can just order any kind of food you want with an app. I mean, just we're lucky that in the Toronto area, it's very multicultural here. Yeah. So we get all kinds of food. And so, yeah, I don't, I never noticed the transition in food. Uh, it's just, I, I don't remember specifics, but the culture was just, just the way people were, were a little bit different. Yeah. That was used to growing up. And then you kind of like adapt and you kind of figure it out, but you know, it's obviously hard making friends in the beginning, and, mm -hmm. but at least the language was there. Was it normal? Was it uh, common for kids to grow up in Kuwait and being able to learn English? Uh, you know, I, because I will preface by saying that, for example, in mainland China, there are fewer, way fewer private schools. There are more today. But when I was growing up, there's like two of them yeah. in Beijing and very wealthy kids can go. Um, whereas in the, in the U.S. is a little more balanced. Like what was it? Was it very special for you guys to be educated? Yeah, about? it was. It was very expensive. Um, but we were very fortunate that my mom and my aunt, so like my cousins and I all went to private school. So my mom and my aunt, they worked at the school. So when you work at the school, your kids go for free or for a discount, heavy discount. So, uh -huh. so we were fortunate. Otherwise, it's it's way too expensive. Like mm -hmm. you can't. It's hard. You can't afford a private school. So yeah, there were maybe two. I want to say two private yeah. schools. So yeah, there wasn't a lot of options. But we were again, you know, things kind of happen, mm -hmm. and we're fortunate that yeah, my our, our mom, and my aunt worked there, so we were able to get a discount and or free. I can't remember. Uh, doesn't matter. We were fortunate enough to be able to go to private school because it kind of helped us adapt wow. a lot quicker when we moved to Canada. Isn't it crazy though? Like think about, I just feel like our, our life and when, when the dots connect, like think about when your mom and your aunt apply for different jobs. It's like then they ended up at the school. They might like it very much, but they could also have ended up somewhere else. But, you know, 10 years later, it prepared both of their kids 
to make that transition very differently than yeah. if the if you attend a regular school. So it's oh yeah, it's just right. yeah, like one small not small, but one thing happens here that like the impact ten years later or twenty years later is just amazing. You can't imagine not having that first step that you know our parents took. So yeah, yeah, it's just it's it's mind boggling how that everything kind of lines up and works out. Yeah, for sure. Wow, this is super cool. And uh, well, thanks so much for your time. I, is, are there any questions that you've been, I know you've probably appeared on other interviews as well, but um, or conferences where you speak at, um, what are some of the questions and things I haven't asked that, that would be, that you want to close on or want to discuss? Um, I can't think of anything, but I mean, just kind of like in closing, I would say, you know, whatever you're excited about now, Mm-hmm. just just take take imperfect action like this is not i've heard this expression before imperfect action mm-hmm. i didn't know i was going to create repurpose when i launched a wordpress plugin you know five years ago mm-hmm. if i didn't launch it if i didn't take the risk and do it and struggle through it and figure out all that stuff i wouldn't have you know created this bigger software called repurpose so you don't know what those small steps that you're taking now mm-hmm. where they will lead you down the road but you have to take action and if it works, great. If it doesn't work, at least you learn something so that you can adjust your path. So that's kind of my, if I want to summarize my experience so far in this entrepreneurial world, mm-hmm. um, just take small steps. And uh, even yeah. though you don't know the big plan yet, uh, it, it, I, it's, it's, it's part of a bigger puzzle. Yeah, like this whole like cosm- <laughs> it's cosmic impact, like you said. And same thing, 2014, when I recorded my first episode, some of my friends were like, huh, like, come yeah. on, what a cheesy yeah. thing to do. And that uh, really helped prepared me less than two years, I think a year and a half to leave my full-time job, which was something mm-hmm. I always wanted to do. Um, and then to start my own company and to see it grow and in so many different areas. So I, I love the message. And... Thank you so much for your time. I know you're super busy and we're in the same time zone at least. So we'll, you know. Sure. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. It's been a lot of fun and I appreciate the opportunity. For sure, for sure. So awesome. So what are you going to do for the rest of the day? I, oh, oh, there we go. I think the rest of the day is happening right now. <laughs> yeah, please. Let me just hang that up. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So funny, perfect timing. Uh, yeah. No, <laughs> um, um, yeah. Oh yeah, I, I forgot to ask you one thing. Sorry. Uh, how many, how many hours? It's a silly question. Do you work on your company? I mean, what is your work week like? It varies uh, when it's close to a release. We try to do a release every month, but realistically, closer month and a half. Um, near the end, it's just like getting the pieces together, the testing team, uh, and everybody coordinated and stuff. Mm. And I'm picky, so I go in there and I make sure I test a lot of things, especially the new features. I want to make sure smooth. Uh, I spend a lot more time those uh, during that time, but I don't know. During the average week, I mean, I'm at it every day, so we're doing something every day for uh, before the kids come home at around three o'clock. So, yeah. <laughs> so. I try to go for a walk in the morning, yeah, about an hour or so. Let's say around between ten and three. Good yeah, every hours. day I'm sure. You're sure Doing when the kids go to sleep, you're oh, I gotta tweak this thing, do that thing. Yeah, I used to do that more, but now I'm to the point where it's like the product's mature enough, and yeah, and I got like just reprioritize. Like if I burn my in the beginning, I was burning myself out. 
like, yeah, just gotta go. I gotta go. I gotta keep going. But now it's like, I can't think clear if I'm forcing myself. So if we're making a new feature or a new something, or I'm trying to solve how I'm going to do this problem, I just kind of let it go for a bit. And just like, okay, tomorrow morning, mm. wake up, go for my walk. Maybe during my walk, I'll think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to time manage better and spend more time. You know, like with my wife afterwards and just hang, just disconnect from yeah. the time. I love it. The problem is I love it too much. I'm sure you're yeah. the same way. You love it that you can do it all day and then you can go at night and just go all night. And Yeah. But you know, it's I, I know at least it's not healthy to do that. So I need that break. I mean, yeah. I force myself to take a break. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah. actually funny because lately I've been struggling. This kind of sounds really weird. Struggling to find a hobby. It's like, what do I do when I'm not doing this? Yeah. At night. I and mean, I don't like to watch TV too much. I watch with my wife. And we have our shows, but I don't enjoy watching TV. I don't right. enjoy reading a lot either. <laughs> what do I do? So, <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. So then my instinct is got the laptop. Okay, what else can we build? Or maybe I should just test this feature. So that's, uh, yeah. I'm trying to find a hobby. Um, it sounds really weird. I tell my friends, hey, I'm trying to find a hobby. What do you guys think I should do? <laughs> They're like, what's wrong with you? This episode of the Face Royal podcast is brought to you by Face World LLC, our marketing service agency created for independent creators and businesses. We offer website development, video production, marketing mentorship to people who want to tell better stories, level up, and create a profitable brand. Face World podcast team are chief editor and producer Herman Ceballos, associate producer Adam Leffert, social media and content manager Rose De Leon. Transcript editor Alina Ahmedova, and lastly, myself, the creator and host of Face World. Thank you so much for listening.